Welcome to today's edition of Time in the Vineyard with Pastor Teacher Jeff Toring. Today's broadcast is being brought to you from the pulpit of Liberty Valley Church, Northfield, Ohio. Samuel 6, beginning in verse 1. Woe to them that are at ease in Zion, and trust in the mountain of Samaria, which are named chief of the nations, to whom the house of Israel come. Pass ye unto Calna, and see, and from thence go to Hamath the great, and go down to Gath of the Philistines. Be they better than these kingdoms, or their border greater than your border? Ye that put far away the evil day, and cause the seat of violence to come near, that lie upon beds of ivory, and stretch themselves upon the couches, and eat the lambs out of the flock, and the calves out of the midst of the stall, that chant to the sound of the viol, and invent to themselves instruments of music like David, that drink wine in bowls, and anoint themselves with the chief ointments, but that are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. If you would throw your ribbon in here, and we'll go over to uh, the book of Revelations, chapter 3, for introduction. Revelation 3, the beginning of the book, John is writing a brief, very brief epistles to individual churches. And we come to Revelation 3, verse 14. He writes to a specific church in a province of Asia Minor called Laodicea. At this time, Asia Minor is experiencing a wonderful economy. It's a booming, thriving area. And he's writing a specific letter. He says, unto the angel of the church, which means the pastor of the church, and then from the pastor down to all the people that are in this local body. So he says, unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, write, these things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. And then he says, which he has said about the previous churches in verse 15, I know thy works. So the church of Laodicea had things happening. There were works. The people were out doing things and expressing the Christianity and and Jesus' name. But the interesting part that he says here is particular with this church of Laodicea. He says, I know thy works. Then he describes the church He says, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. The temperature of the church was somewhere in the middle. It was a church that did works, but they did what I call clean hand works. They wouldn't spend time in the trenches, but they would do works, but clean hand works. So it would look similar to this. Instead of sending a missionary out, to do the work of an evangelist, to plant the church, to to get down into the trenches, to meet with the people, to work with them every day and try to solve their problems and give them the gospel and lead them to Christ and, and then disciple them and work with them and care for them and love them and hurt with them and go all through the process of disciple making. It wouldn't look quite as dirty as that. It would look more like this. 
Well, let's send somebody there for a weekend stay, spend a few hours maybe doing some evangelism, and then maybe a few hours doing sightseeing because we are in Hawaii, and that is obviously the place that evangelism is needed. I mean, or maybe it would be Jamaica or the other beautiful islands because that's where I would be called to go. <laughs> but let's just spend a few hours. We'll pass out a couple of gospel tracts, do a little Jesus work, and then let's do some sightseeing. And then we'll come back to the church and celebrate the good work that we did. And uh, if anybody asks anything more of us, well, I don't think so. We'll serve in the church. We'll do our works. I know thy works. But if it, if it interrupts with my schedule of croquet, I won't be able to make it that day. If it interrupts in my schedule at all, I'm sorry I won't be able to make it that day. Because... I have important things to do, and uh, I, I want a little bit of Jesus, and, and I really like that and everything, um, but uh, don't expect me to rearrange my life. There's something to be said about the 40 or 50 year veteran, the Sunday school teacher who's 78 years old or 80 years old, who's been teaching Sunday school for 40 to 50 years. Shooting stars come and they go. But we need people who are going to get in the trenches and stay there. This church didn't have it. They didn't need it because the money was so overflowing that they didn't need volunteers to work in the trenches. We can just pay someone to do it per hour. I know thy works that thou art neither cold nor hot. You're somewhere in the middle you know, I like Jesus, and I and I and I really do, and I and I want to give to it, and I and I do. Um, but he says, "Look, you're not cold. You're not against the gospel, but you're certainly not hot for the gospel. You're in the middle. You're on the fence." Jesus says, "This makes me nauseous." And you would think, "Boy, that's a little bit um, scathing." I mean, it's a good church; they're doing things. I mean, you're not allowed to criticize churches, don't you know that? Well, Jesus must not have heard that memo because he says, well, actually, it makes me so nauseous that it makes me want to vomit. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Now, no one wants to hear that, and nobody wants to be part of that church. So why would anybody do that? It's because they don't know. They don't know. If they're not told, they won't know. And so that's what happens. In verse 17, Because thou sayest, I'm rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing. Here's the bad part. Because they are so distracted with wealth and good things and, good, and all the, the things that go with it, it says, And knowest not that thou art wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. See, the rich person doesn't wake up. And by the way, um, this is all of us, including me. We are all wealthy here. Absolutely. I don't wake up and say, well, I'm a terrible, wretched, blind, naked. Well, sometimes actually I do. 
The problem is, is they don't know. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Then he says something interesting regarding this. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich. What does that look like? What is that? We know your, your typical Bible exposition, if the Bible makes perfect sense, seek no other sense, unless this context dictates otherwise, right? Good hermeneutics. So we're looking at this, and you realize Jesus isn't literally telling us that we need to buy gold from him. That's impossible. So then common sense. He's making an analogy. He says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire. So what, what is that? Well, the one thing that we do know is that we have to purchase something, which means that he's referring to a cost. There has to be some kind of cost if we're going to be legitimate. It's got to cost us something. And notice that he says, the buy of me gold tried in the fire. In other words, it's not going to be easy. There is a burning sensation. There is a fire. It's tried. There's a tempting and a trial, a trying of this to eliminate the dirt that is within the gold. He says, this type of gold that I'm dealing with here in your life, that you must buy, will have to come at a cost, and it has to be tried in the fire. Because we are sinful. We are selfish. The old Puritans said, even our repentance must be washed in the blood. But he, nevertheless, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. Well, well, with that then, let's go over to see what Amos is on about in Amos chapter 6. Teaching through the letter, we have to keep things, of course, in context. What previously we just dealt with in chapter 5, Amos and the, the readers now, uh, are realizing the importance of godly influence in the gate. There was a famine in the gate of the Word of God. There was uh, the public sphere of glorifying God was diminished, and it had an impact on society. And then we realized, then we, we learned that there was a possibility of moving beyond the point of no return, that all countries can do this. Because if we don't glorify God in the public sphere and in government and different things, the natural decline is then going to be, well, you eventually you're going to move to the point of no return because God will be completely eliminated from society and then of course he reminds us then of the severity of the day of the Lord the day of the Lord is coming glory and power but it'll be a very very dooming time a very bloody time severe so then he starts out this chapter and he says woe to them that are at ease in Zion who have the plush life and it's interesting, he's saying, we cannot have complacent, lukewarm mediocrity. That is not an option. The Lord pronounces a woe to them that are at ease in Zion. If you know that the situation in the country is as it is, and you are doing nothing about it but living comfortably, Jesus actually pronounces a woe 
against that person. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, it is sin. And we know. We get enough newspapers. We get enough fake news to even find our way through the fake news to find out what's happening. Yet what did we do last week to fix it? What did we do? Then we have to direct this very derogatory word that is pronounced woe to them that are at ease in Zion. He's saying that the trumpet is sounding, the air raids are blaring. This is not a drill. Woe to them that are at ease in Zion and trust in the mountain of Samaria. In other words, he's saying the geography will no longer be a deterrent. The two great ponds on the right and on the left will not be the deterrent any longer, which is the way that we have it now. Samaria, the chief of the nations to whom the house of Israel came. So then he runs us through a brief historical lesson of different countries and important cities that suffered defeat. Passia and the Kelna and see what happened over there. And from thence go ye to Hamath. Hamath the Great. Where is that? Then go down to Gath. Remember Gath with the champion of the Philistines. What happened there? Can you find them on a map? No, because they don't exist anymore. They don't exist. When you look at a globe and you spin it around, do you see the Cherokee nation on the globe? Do you see the great Apache nation on the globe anywhere? No. You know, one day you may spin that globe around and where once was the red, white, and blue will be gone. These nations and these cities that were once great are gone. The great Persian Empire is gone. The great Babylonian Empire with the seven wonders of the world, the hanging gardens, and the glory are gone. Do you think that we're better than they? We're not. We just happen to have a better God than they. And he says, there's some people that that honestly, if if we're honest about it, they, they don't want to acknowledge reality on the ground. They don't want to acknowledge it. I feel very safe with my head in the sand. They don't want to acknowledge it. I don't want to hear about it. I'm tired of hearing about it. Tired of hearing about it. Verse 3. Ye that put far away the evil day and cause the seat of violence to come near. If you do nothing about it, you are actually causing the violence to happen. That's awful scathing. And it gets worse, because why would people do that? Why would anyone in their right mind want to see the glorious nation of Zion deteriorate? I mean, this is Zion. This is where salvation comes. This is the land of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the land of the fathers. This is our heritage. Why would anyone want or be willing to allow this to happen? And he tells us. Verse 4, because 
that lie upon beds of ivory and stretch themselves upon their couches and eat the lambs out of the flock and the calves out of the midst of the stall. We are lavishly wealthy. Let's just close the drapes here and let the world pass by as I peel grapes and eat bonbons on my velour couch and my satin sheets. In fact, I don't even have satin sheets because that's too cheap. They're actual silk from Corinth. Corinthian leather. <laughs> Verse 5, that chant to the sound of the viol and invent to themselves instruments of music. And the story remains the same as Ecclesiastes says. There's nothing new under the sun. Wine, women, and song. Chant the vile, invent to themselves instruments of music like David. And then it says that drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with the chief ointments. I mean, this is, this is pampering. We go to the spa. We have all this done. We have so much money. We'll just pay. We'll just you know, close the drapes and, and forget it. Just pay. But they are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. Prosperity, which was a blessing that you thought was of God, actually was sedation as heroin from the devil. You can see them just totally sedated out of their mind, fat as calves. They've become numb. They're not grieved which means there's something in the heart that is wrong. They're not grieved. And you can't be grieved if you're not. You realize that? You can't conjure this up. You can't make believe. You can't fake it. If your heart isn't grieved over the things that you see, there's nothing that you can do. Bigger barns. That's what I need to build bigger barns. Thy fool. Tonight thy life is required of thee. The rich young ruler, sell all that thou hast and follow me. And he went away sorrowful. Americans, we don't eat the fatted calf. We become the fatted calf. The interesting part, though, is all of us that are, are Bible students, our ears perk up when we hear the, the name David takes us back to the glory days. King David, the hero who would be pictured of the hero, the son of David, and the music and the things that King David did and the adventures of David. He says in verse 5 about the music that they invent to themselves instruments of, of music. They thought like David, but actually it was nothing at all like David because David was a man after God's own heart. So let's, let's go there and, and remind us of some of that in 1 Samuel 23. Because those of us that are here are very different. This is a very different congregation. Doers we are. Soldiers we are. If you look at this in 1 Samuel 23, David is still quite young. 
verse 1 of chapter 23. Then they told David, saying, Behold, the Philistines fight against Keilah, and they rob the threshing floors. Wind circulates. Something is happening down in the South Hills. It's not a very popular town. I would, I would venture to guess that some people may have never even heard of the country or the, the province of Keilah down in southern Judah. It's not very common. It's a country boy town down in the hills. But David is familiar with Judah because he's got humble beginnings. He finds out that, that the Philistines are down there and, and they are robbing the threshing floors. They're taking their food. Now, look what happens. Therefore, David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and smite these Philistines? And somebody may say, For what? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Why would you even think that? That has nothing to do with you. You don't live there. And by the way, at this juncture in time, David is on the run from his own government. They're chasing him down after his life. So, wait a minute here. Let's, let's think. You're going to get into a fight to defend your country when your own country is after you. For what? Look, 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 look. Let's just be wise about this. First of all, it ain't your problem. Uh, why don't we be wise? Why don't we just lay low a little bit? Nobody will bother you. You and your men can go find a village to live in peacefully, grow some corn, and, and, you know, and live and live. That's not what happens. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and smite these Philistines? And the Lord said unto him, Go and smite the Philistines and save Keilah. Now, we get a very... Very rare occasion in, in verse 3. Because it says, And David's men said unto him, Behold, we be afraid. That is a shocking statement if you know the rest of the Bible concerning David and his men. These aren't average men. But you've got to realize here, they are still young in the faith. They are still very new at all this stuff. And they know that this is truly dangerous, that the chances of going against an organized army of the Philistines, you're not, you're not likely to make it out alive. These men here, these very individuals, will go on to be highly decorated veterans. But all veterans have their start in boot camp. There's not anything wrong with being afraid. You just need to put your eyebrows down and keep a stiff upper lip. We'd be afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we come to Kelia against the armies of the Philistines? Don't stir it up. Don't cause a stink. I have family back home. Don't put me at risk. Verse 4, Then David inquired of the Lord yet again. And the Lord answered him and said, Notice, God, I mean, how gracious is God to David? I, I told you once, you know, remember when, you were, when your kids piped off at you? I told you once, don't make me tell you again. And God is gracious. He already told him to go. But he's like, well, let's, let's ask again. So he inquired of the Lord yet again, and the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Kelia, for I will deliver the Philistines into thine hand. Now look at five. So David and his men went. 
Do you realize the phrase that you just read? This is marked in history as, as the birth. Because this little phrase, David and his men, this new phrase will become notorious. The phrase, David and his men, will cause men and devils to tremble. David and his men went to Kelia and fought with the Philistines and brought away their cattle and smote them with a great slaughter. So David saved the inhabitants of Kelia. But look what happens. It's such a twist. And I love the way the Bible is real and authentic. It doesn't paint over our sin. It doesn't paint in a glorious paisley colored glasses, rose colored glasses. It tells it the reality of it where we live. So verse 6, And it came to pass when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David to Kelia, that he came down with an ephod in his hand. And look in 7, And it was told Saul, the wicked king, the government, the deep state that was trying to kill the up-and-coming king, it was told Saul that David was come to Kelia. News travels far and wide, brothers, if you want to fire off a cannon. They all will hear you. And they won't like it. So we should expect retribution, shouldn't we? Again, stiff upper lip. It was told Saul that David was come to Kelia. And Saul said, God hath delivered him into my hand, for he is shut in by entering into a town that hath gates and bars. There's no escape. Saul called all the people together to war. His own countrymen were called against him to go down to Kelia to besiege David and his men. Of course, winds travels, rumors travels, wars, rumors of wars. Verse 9, David knew that Saul secretly practiced mischief against him. And he said to Abiathar the priest, bring hither the ephod. Bring this religious thing over because we, we really don't know exactly what we're doing. And so David's doing the best that he can. Verse 10, then said David, O Lord God of Israel, thy servant hath certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to Kelia to destroy the city for my sake. I caused it. David realizes I fired off a cannon. And now the, the retribution is coming. They are all coming for me. And they're going to try to kill everyone here in Kelia. And I caused it. What should I do? Look at the question then that he asks in verse 11. Will the men of Kelia deliver me up into his hand? Will, will Saul come down as thy servant hath heard, O Lord God of Israel? I beseech thee. In other words, David's trembling himself. Tell me, God, will, will they come down? Will Saul come down? Tell thy servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. And then look, then said David, another question. Well, I know that the government is after me, but what about the, will the men of Keilah deliver me and my men? Didn't he just save them? Didn't David and his men, fearing for their life, risk their own life to save the men at Keilah? Yes. 
now David realizes, I've shot off a cannon and I'm going to have to deal with it. But the second question is, is, will the very people that we saved, will they too turn on me? Look. Verse 12. Will the men of Keilah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And look at the answer. And the Lord said, they will. They will. They'll turn on you. And they'll betray you. The very people that you saved will turn on you. Judas Iscariot. So then what is happening here? What are we learning here? What is David doing here? He's buying gold. Tried in the fire. He's purchasing the gold that he was told from Revelation 3. He's learning. You see, it's not about the men. It's not about Kelia. It's about God. Whether they turn on us or not. Whether they betray us or not. We're going to purchase gold at the master's hand and we will serve him. Because he and he alone is the one who is worthy of our service. There is no other. Trust not in man. At the very table, at the Passover table, the communion table, where the warmth and the friendship should be closest, Jesus said, one of you will betray me. That same heart, brothers, of Judas Iscariot is in all of us. For the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who could know it? But by God's grace, we go. Woe unto them that are at ease in Zion for the glory of the Master. And the glory of country. For salvation comes from Zion. And we are his hands and his feet. There are no other. We are the Calvary. And there is no other. But at the end of the day. Kelia was saved. David saved them. And Jesus Christ the king saved us when we don't deserve it. Because if it wasn't for him, I too would turn on him and sold you. And you know it. Here. Here's a few thousand dollars. Call off teaching Sunday school for the Sunday. You've been listening to Time in the Vineyard with pastor-teacher Jeff Toring. Today's broadcast was brought to you from the pulpit of Liberty Valley Church, Northfield, Ohio. For more information, you can call the church at 330-554-7606 or check us out on the web at libertyvalleychurch.org. That's libertyvalleychurch.org.